Well, goddamn, episode number six of the Bad Buddhism podcast. So I switched gears, those of you who don't know. I switched gears and um, I started distributing my podcast, this podcast, on Anchor, which distributes the podcast across many platforms. And um, over the course of the week, I've been getting these notifications telling me that my podcast has been distributed to various uh, platforms such as Apple, Google, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public. I don't even know. I've never heard of First of all, I didn't know there was a Google podcast. That's first and foremost. I only thought that podcasts were distributed on Apple Podcasts and and Spotify. I did not know Google had one. Um, but Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, I have never even heard of any of those. So this is this is a cool little uh it's a cool little uh thing we got going on over here. Um, I actually like and enjoy doing podcasts much more than I anticipated because I get to just come on the mic and just speak my mind. Well, I don't be speaking exactly what's on my mind because you can't let everybody know what's exactly on your mind. Um, well, at least me. I'm very private, uh, secretive type person. So yeah, it's a very fun endeavor. I get to share with you what I'm interested in. But um, before I even go into the breadth of the podcast, I'm going to talk about some things I'm going to go into on this episode. So first and foremost, um, thank you for listening. Um, my listenership has been steadily increasing, so um, I appreciate that. Um, this is a very fun project for me to do, a very fun experiment for me to do, and uh I'm just going to go into what I'm going to talk about today, some interesting topics. So first, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to read an article um, about artificial intelligence. I should just put artificial intelligence in the description of this podcast because I talk about it so much. You know, artificial intelligence is just so fucking amazing. Excuse my language. I'm going to try not to curse so much. Um, it's so, it's, it's amazing. It, there's so many different so many different aspects that artificial intelligence is making strides in that I'm pretty sure many people are not even aware of. So I'm going to talk about an article or read an article or two about um, the strides that artificial intelligence is is making. Um, I'm also going to talk about, you know, talk a little bit about dating, a little bit about dating because a lot of people, well, <clears throat> this is for the men. Because a lot of men get this, get it twisted. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's about maybe eighty percent of men getting this shit twisted. And to those eighty percent, I got a little, uh, got a little insight for them. Um, I'm also going to talk about dieting and why dieting is not the answer. As you New Year's resolutioners um, look to 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 lose fifty pounds or a hundred pounds or 200 pounds or whatever you guys are doing, but dieting is not the way. I'm going to tell you why in a second. So <clears throat> yeah, this is going to be 
should be an interesting, an interesting podcast. Interesting podcast. So I'm going to start off with the article on AI, right? So this article I'm from Medium is, is from Marcel Deer. The name of the article is The Benefits and Dangers of Artificial Intelligence. And the subtitle is How Disruptive AI Could Make or Break the Global Economy. So here we go. Artificial intelligence is everywhere, generating excitement about how it could transform our lives in multiple ways. Yet the technology is very likely to be disruptive. Businesses and policymakers must try to capture the full value of what AI has to offer while avoiding any risks. The concept of AI has been around for more than half a century, and many of us lived through prior periods of excitement followed by dull stretches of disappointment, quote-unquote AI winters, when the promise of AI tech failed to live up to the expectations. However, Recent progress in AI techniques and algorithms, combined with a huge increase of computing power and explosion in the amount of data available, has created significant and tangible advances, promising to generate massive value for businesses, individuals, and the whole of society. Machine learning is assisting multiple industries. Companies are currently applying AI techniques in sales, and marketing to personalize product recommendations to the, the desires of individual customers. Also, in manufacturing, AI is improving predictive maintenance by using deep learning and applying calculations to high volumes of data from sensors. Got a few sensors in my house. So this is an interesting article so far. So we see that AI is going beyond just turning my condo into a smart home. It's actually helping companies be more efficient and productive and all of that stuff. So uh, let's continue with the article. By simply deploying algorithms to detect anomalies, firms can decrease the downtime of machinery and equipment from assembly lines to jet engines. See, more efficiency in these companies. Um, <clears throat> going to continue. Recent research has highlighted hundreds of such business cases, which together have the potential to create between, oh, I don't know what this is. What is this in? I'm going to skip over that. <clears throat> I don't know what those units are. AI can contribute to economic growth by augmenting and substituting labor and capital inputs, spurring innovation and boosting wealth creation and reinvestment. Ooh, that looks like a... A good thing for the rich folk who own businesses. I'm not mad at it, though. AI could increase global GDP growth. I agree with that. Research suggests that AI will be the most beneficial if it focuses on innovation-led growth. And if this growth is accompanied by proactive managerial measures, particularly retraining workers to give them the skills they will need to excel in the new working era. As AI starts to contribute to faster GDP growth, social welfare is also likely to increase. It's estimated that AI and related technologies could improve welfare by 0.5% to 1% a year between 2020 and 2030. That would be very similar to the social impact of previous waves of technology adoption, including the internet and communications technology revolution. AI is likely to help 
to improve many aspects of well-being from job security and living standards to educational practices and environmental sustainability. So you see, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on that AI is going to disrupt the economy in such a way that there's going to be a huge, it's going to widen the, uh, the, 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 what's called the wealth inequality gap. What I think personally is that AI, just like internet and other forms of technology allows for more people to participate in the economy. That's just my, that's my opinion, you know, but you know, uh, you know, us humans have this uh, negativity bias, and I don't know. I, I think things are never as bad as people say they're going to be. You know, we have a lot of people who think they're psychic out there that think that they can predict the future or predict the direction that things are going in in such a way that it's uh, negative or um, has a negative impact on people. So let me just continue with the article. <clears throat> Its most significant positive contribution to human welfare may come in the areas of healthcare and longevity. Yes, that's the next article I'm going to get into. <clears throat> we got some um we got some um AI technology that's better at predicting instances of cancer than radiologists themselves, the people that were trained to diagnose cancer or detect cancer. I mean, I guess that's one way that AI can replace, you know, or displace workers. But at the same time, I don't think that we're going to fully depend on AI to detect something as serious as cancer. I think that we're going to, we're going to probably work hand in hand, partner with AI. It may slash a few jobs here and there, or maybe it won't. Maybe it will actually um, produce more jobs because when you're implementing these types of technologies, you're going to have to obviously have more people trained to maintain AI, you know, especially the, the hardware of AI. So there's that. I'm going to continue. AI driven, AI driven drug discovery, it's a tongue twister, is many times faster than conventional research. And AI-based traffic management could reduce the negative impact of air pollution on health by 3 to 15%. Oh, shit. AI will also help to address a wide range of social challenges. If implemented carefully, this technology could help the world meet all 17 of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. AI tech that is currently being field tested includes disease detection systems, smuggler trackers, to combat human trafficking and tech that helps to predict and aid in disaster relief efforts. See, I'm just talking about the uh, disease detection systems. Those are definitely going to be widespread in radiology used to detect uh, certain cancers and tumors and et cetera, et cetera. There are still some challenges that must be addressed. These technologies are still very much in their infancy with more breakthroughs needed to make them applicable on a global scale. So yeah, it's going to it's going to be a while. It's not good. it's not something that's right around the corner or maybe it is because we all know that technology grows at this exponential rate. So it could be right around the corner, who knows, but there still needs some type of improvement on um some of these these technologies um that are implemented. So Let's look at the challenges and concerns. Uh-oh. So 
in the fastest possible automation adoption scenario, fastest possible scenario, right? Up to 375 million workers worldwide would have to switch occupational categories by 2030. I have no, I'm in the midst of doing that right now. I have no qualms of doing that. But again, but then again, my I have a background in engineering. So yeah, um, let's continue. <laughs> Humble brag. Let's continue. Occupational categories by 2030. While some 75 million will be effective, affected in some professional capacity. Those are the radiologists, at least. The nature of almost every job is likely to change as people are forced to interact with smart smart machines in the workplace. <laughs> I don't get that. This we have we have this stigma or this notion that people are going to be forced to interact with smart machines. You know, I don't I don't really I don't really get that. There's so there's so many people that are using smart devices that it's ridiculous. You don't have to force anybody. Only the most ignorant of the ignorant or the most stubborn of the stubborn will not want to use these smart devices. You're not going to I find that I find that cuz I worked at a place that implemented these smart devices little by little that is. I found that the oldest people there were not so against it. They adapted, they learned, and they actually saw that these technologies made their jobs easier. You know, so I don't, I'm not really with the whole notion that this is going to be some type of force or what have you. But anyway, and also I want to add that people switch careers all the time. People switch careers all the time. Like it's not something that is that is so far-fetched. And if AI is going to be something that's so widespread, it's going to permeate a lot of industries, then even, even when people switch, they're are they're going to be expecting AI to be there. Compu- like, for instance, computers. Every industry, every I'm pretty sure, I would say 99% of every industry uses computers. This wasn't the case some decades ago. And when people were, quote unquote, forced to use the computers, they adapted rather quickly. Computers are so prevalent nowadays. You know, they're everywhere. So I think AI is just going to be another layer of that. And I don't know, it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good. Let's continue. That will garner the need for new skills presenting companies and policymakers with the challenge of training and retraining the workforce at a massive scale. And as demand for high-tech skilled jobs grow, low-skilled workers could be left behind, resulting in severe economic balance. Okay, I don't really agree with that. You see, this is where the optimistic person, the optimist comes out in me. I don't believe that low-skilled workers could be left behind, resulting in severe economic imbalance. I think that is going to allow for us to step up. The low-skilled workers, quote-unquote, will step up. It will adapt. I really do not underestimate the human will for survival, and not even only survival, but curiosity, curiosity, and um, yeah, the willing to learn and, and adapt and to grow and evolve. You know, I don't think it's going to be that serious, but again, we'll see. The diffusion of AI could also raise challenging ethical questions. Some of these may relate to the use and potential misuse of the technology in areas ranging from public surveillance and military 
applications to social media. Algorithms and the data used to train them may introduce new biases or perpetuate institutionalize, perpetuate and institutionalize existing types. Other critical concerns include the use of personal information, privacy, cybersecurity, and quote unquote deep fakes. Deep, you, you guys gotta watch. Go on, go on um, Instagram and check out this account called the Fakening. It is super, super scary how blended. Like, if you guys don't know about deep fakes, it's when it's when you take a video of one person and put some other person's face on it, and you can make them say things. You can make them say pretty much anything you want. I, I really don't know the extent <laughs> to how powerful it is, but I do know that you can pretty much make someone seem, make someone out to say things that they didn't say. That's the most simplistic way I can put it without getting too technical. I was going to go into all sorts of uh, software and CGI and all that other stuff, but I'm not even gonna, not even gonna do that. Um, let's keep going. Okay. Despite these challenges, AI is likely to generate a tremendous amount of value for all of us if policymakers and businesses act smartly and swiftly to capture its full benefits. The much-anticipated AI spring could be just around the corner. Yeah, it it could. It might be, but. Yeah, that was a decent, decent article. Little got to throw a little fear mongering in there, of course. But yeah, so I don't know, man. AI is just—it's something I'm just really thrilled with. I'm thrilled with because I'm finding in my own day-to-day life that I'm using voice more and more, and I'm not even really like I'm so tempted to search via voice. Like I've been searching via voice more often. Like I don't even open my, excuse me. I don't even open my phone that much anymore to search things. I come on my phone to maybe bullshit on, um, Instagram, social media, get some work done. Um, but to search, I haven't really been using my device to search that much, especially since I don't really, really use uh, Google search that much anymore. I rarely use Google search. I use DuckDuckGo now. But um, I've been using my Echo devices to search for things that I want to know, like certain words. Like when I'm writing, I could be sitting here typing at the computer and I use a word that I didn't know that I knew and I have to search it up real quick. But I don't want to close out. I don't want to close out my. um, I don't want to close out my. My. my um my uh my uh word processor had <laughs> a brain fart right there. I don't want to close out my word processor or go into any of the apps. So what I do, I just use my voice to search the word real quick and I get back to work. So yeah, there's that. Um gonna go into this next article. And let's search it up. Okay, so I'm not going to read the whole article because we got to get into the next topic, but I'm just going to read a few, read a few uh, paragraphs of it, of it, excerpts of it. So this article is by Faisal Khan. So forgive me if I butchered your name. 
if you listen to this one day. But it's the title right here. Google's new AI is better than radiologists at breast cancer detection. The tech giant's AI lab, DeepMind, has developed a new tool which flagged fewer false positives and negatives in the trial study. Hmm. So, yeah, that's interesting. So, let me see. All right, let's just start reading it. Cancer has become a leading cause of death in many countries of the world in the past few years. A lot of resources have been assigned to develop better detection treatment techniques for a disease that has grown at an alarming rate over the past few decades. Although the cancer mortality rates have fallen in the U.S. recently, global instances remain elevated. Having said that, recent having said that, recent groundbreaking research in cancer immunotherapy and developing blood tests can detect various types of cancer have given hope for a future where people suffering from this deadly disease will have a much better chance at surviving. I think I completely butchered that paragraph. <laughs> the new year and new decade kicked off with a very promising study that employs futuristic tech to accurately detect the disease in breast cancer patients. Breast cancer is the leading cause of death in women globally, where one in eight women will be diagnosed with the condition in their lifetime. Generally, for cancer patients, or more specifically, and more specifically in breast cancer, early detection is the key to eventual treatment. Okay, so let me just skip through. Hmm. Skip through, okay. Okay, so the AI system in the research was trained on mammograms of 91,000 women. 67,000 from UK and 15,000 from the US. Once trained, the predictive software was tested on two different data sets, 25,000 scans in the UK and a further 3,000 in the US. The test included pulling four images from each mammogram into a neural network, which then assigned a score between zero and one for three different models. A higher score was identified as a bigger risk is the key part that I was looking for. The trained AI software performed better at cancer detection than radiologists looking at the mammograms, producing 5.7% fewer false positives and 9.4% fewer false negatives than their human counterpart on the smaller US data set. The results suggested that AI picked up signs of cancer, which even the human experts had missed. I'm gonna stop it right there. Yeah, that's that's kind of big. That is big. So if you have AI that's potentially better at detecting cancer than humans, radiologists, then that is that's big. That's huge. You can get so much more you can you can help so many more people with that piece of technology right there. That's how AI is really, I don't know, AI is really changing the landscape for pretty much every sector. We got health, we got in um, industry, we got many different forms of, of ways that AI is penetrating 
the economy and actually helping. I don't see how this is going to be a hindrance at all. So, yep, that is what I found interesting. So now I'm going to go into this attraction thing, right? This this relationship thing, right? And I don't know how should I segue into this. I'm just going to go right into it. So I was on Quora maybe a month or two ago, a month and a half ago. And I like to answer questions on Quora. Quora is a great platform to get information and give information. So on Quora, um, I came across this question and it basically asked about attraction, right? So I'm trying to pull it up here. So came across this, here it is. I came across this uh, question, right? So the question was, some women think I'm handsome and others don't. I think of myself as being an average looking guy. I have a decent personality. So what might be some reasons why I'm single? Okay, so I'm going to talk about this nice guy syndrome that a lot of men have. A lot of men feel like because they're nice guys and have decent personalities that that's supposed to make a woman moist. It doesn't. Like that's not at least to my knowledge and my experience that does not make a woman wet. Like she's not going to be attracted to you because you're a nice guy. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. So what is attraction though? I'm going to start with using like a scientific type of um, analogy to explain what attraction is, or at least how I experience attraction or how I see attraction to be, right? So if you think about, if you think about the solar system, the planets, galaxies, the whole universe, right? Let's talk exclusively about this solar system. We have the sun. The sun is a very dense object, which is why it has nine or eight planets around it, orbiting around it. So the denser an object is, the more gravitational pull it has, right? So we can think about density within the context of dating as your interest, what you got going on in life, your ambitions, your passions, that's that's going to determine your density, how educated you are, not necessarily formally educated. Some women are attracted to that, but the the density lies within your interests. How 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 attractive you are is a function of what you got going on in your life. What can you what can you pull women into? What is it that you're what is it that is interesting to you that you love that might make women go, oh, this man is on a mission. Like he loves what he's doing. Oh, this is actually interesting. Let me you know, that's what's going to build attraction. You know, your confidence is going to definitely be a function of that as well. Because if you know your stuff and you're interested in, in what you're interested in and you love what you're doing, I guarantee you nine times out of 10, that will make a woman more attracted to you. Now, your looks is definitely a part of it. 
don't get me wrong. I mean, if you're a handsome person, that's definitely that's definitely a good look for you. That's a good look for you. But if you're handsome, you have a nice personality, what else can you offer her? Like you got you got to be able to offer some type of adventure or be able to teach her something and be open to being taught by her as well cuz you can't be can't be an idiot. You know, and that's where the whole education thing comes in. You want to be you want to be interesting enough that she's attracted to you based off of what you have going on in your life. You know? So that's pretty much that's pretty much all I have to say about, you know, the attraction part, you know, like when you when you when you go on this nice guy tirade and say, "Oh, I'm a nice guy" or "I'm nice. Why doesn't she like me?" Like it doesn't work like that. And I guarantee you, you're not as nice as you think. You're definitely not as nice as you think. There's a lot of people out there that think that they're nicer than they really are. And they're really not. Like if you are going around saying, oh, I'm a nice guy, like me, then you're not, you're actually not nice. You're, I don't want to say what they could be. I think that's creepy. I think that's manipulative. If, when, if you if you say, hey, I'm a nice guy. Why don't you like me? You know, like that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of whack. It's kind of whack to me. So, oh, I'm seeing that anchor only because I'm recording. Usually, I record from uh, iMovie, but I'm seeing that anchor only allows you to record for 30 minutes at a time. So, I'm gonna have to stop this recording, and it's a good time to stop it anyway to segue into the next part. Be right back, and we're back. So. I'm doing a lot of experimentation with the format of this podcast today, so forgive me. Started off reading articles and recording on straight from the Anchor software itself and might mess with the uh, continuity of the podcast, but it might it might actually work out. It's a it's a break from the usual me speaking all the way through the whole podcast, which I really prefer, but yeah, I might have to switch back to my my other format where I just record straight through. So, yeah, before I stopped, I was just talking about attraction in regards um regarding men, regarding women being attracted to males and what women what makes a woman attracted to a man. I can't say in specifics. There's no specific thing that makes a woman attracted to a man, but I think, and th- I think this goes for pretty much any of the the genders. I think it just goes if you're not a if you're not an interesting person, if you don't have anything to offer. Because when I say you don't have anything to offer, it means that humans are selfish. Everybody's just thinking me, 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 me. So if you don't have anything to offer someone in the way of entertainment, education, money, if it's transactional, if, you, if that's what you guys are doing. Um, whether it's status, then she's not going to be attracted to you. She's not going to be attracted to you because you're nice and you like her. It doesn't work that way. And I think that men need to stop fucking whining about women not being attracted to them because they're so nice. Like that's that doesn't make any sense. How many of how many of 
there's a I'm pretty sure there's a pretty significant amount of guys here, and I've known a few guys who have a lot of women in their friend zone. And these women are these men friend zone these women, right? Women get friend zone too, right? And I'm pretty sure these women are thinking, oh, but I'm nice. Why doesn't he like me? Or I'm pretty. A lot of women think that because they're pretty, they look good, got a fat ass, whatever the case may be, education, whatever it is, whatever they think that they have, they think that they should, that should be a point of attraction for men. When it's different, it's actually different for men. But you got to have something going on within your life. Like you got to be interesting. You got to have things going on. You got to be ambitious. You got to have density. Density yields attraction. The more dense you are, not in a dumb way, but the more dense you are, the more attraction you'll be able to yield. So that's all I got to say about that. Now, the next thing I want to talk about Speaking of attraction, because this is this is important for attraction as well, is weight loss, dieting, fat loss, fitness, because I'm a fitness junkie. So even though I haven't been at the gym in like six weeks, oops, but um, here's the thing. Dieting is not the answer. For all you New Year's resolutioners out there, dieting is not the answer. If you started the New Year's with a diet, you already failed. I'm just going to tell you that straight up, tell you straight up. Diets don't work. They don't work at all. And I don't know how many times the industry has to show this to you. For instance, look at the biggest loser. On the biggest loser, you'll find that People are losing weight. People on that show, they lose weight really, really quick. You know, it's entertainment, right? So I'm not going to be so hard on them. They're losing weight really fast. And then the show stops. And then a year or two later, they gain back all of the weight that they lost and then some. This is common in a lot of people. They lose the weight. And and maybe they take a whether they take a shortcut or they go on some type of extreme starvation diet, and then um okay sorry I was reading something <laughs> they go on an extreme diet lose all of the weight and then they just gain the weight back and then some I'm, I've seen people. I've seen people do this many times. Growing up, I've seen people do it many times. I used to wonder, why the F, I'm not going to curse, why the F, because my mom is listening to this, why the F do people lose all the weight and then gain it back, even while maintaining the same eating habits that lost the weight in the first place? Even while even while maintaining the same habits that that allowed them to lose the weight. So this is a very nuanced topic, and I'm glad that I have time to talk to you all about it. So all right, I'm going to tell you why dieting isn't the answer. Start with this, the, this, 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 this simple straight up um, notion. Dieting is not the answer because it's not about a diet. It's about a lifestyle. So if it took you 
say you are about say you're about 300 pounds, right? Or obese or overweight in any fashion, and you and, and you've gained this weight over a period of time, or you've always been more hefty. That's a different story. If you've been more heavy, then that's probably like a, a genetic type thing. And I have a different opinion on people that are naturally that are naturally quote unquote big boned or naturally husky. But if you've gained the weight over a certain period of time, five years, 10 years, understand that you've adopted a lifestyle over those five years, over those 10 years. And it's not going to take a diet to reverse that decade of a lifestyle. It's going to take another, maybe another decade, maybe another, it's going to take you for the rest of your life, as a matter of fact, to reverse to reverse those conditions. It's going to take you the rest of your life. It's going to be a lifestyle that you're going to have to adapt to completely ameliorate all of those bad habits that you picked up over those five to 10 year periods, right? So it's not about a diet. You you go on a diet and then let me tell you who diets are for. Diets are for people that have gained a little weight in the off season of maybe whatever fitness program they're doing. And they're like, oh, I got to get back to it. And they just go back. They just diet down back to where they were before. And then they're back to, they're back to, 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 to their default. They're back to equilibrium. They're back to where they were at before. And they just continue it on because they've already adapted a necessary lifestyle to maintain the weight that they were at before they went on this diet. That's that's who diets are for. Diets are for people that are, you know, off season. You know, got to get back into it. They gained a little weight. They fell off a little bit. Maybe, maybe, maybe uh, I don't know. Six to ten weeks of being or out of it. Ten weeks is a little bit much. I'm using six weeks because that's my. I've been out of it six for six weeks, but I'm naturally. Don't get jealous. I'm naturally a lean person, so I don't necessarily worry about weight gain too much. I worry about body composition. Because I have an issue, not an issue, but I have a hard time keeping muscle mass on because I'm naturally an ectomorph. But there's people that gain weight pretty quickly. So if they're off season, um, if in their off season they end up gaining quite a few pounds, they'll just diet back down and get back to it. But these people have already established a lifestyle, right? So you're going to have to establish a lifestyle as well. This lifestyle entails, and this is the only way to do it. Like, I don't believe in doing some fad diets or doing some some fucking, um, excuse my language, I'm trying not to curse, or doing some, um, I don't know, eyeballing your, your macros, eyeballing your calories and all that stuff. I'm going to tell you why that's not important. That's important in a second. You can't do that if you're a beginner. You can't be eyeballing your calories and stuff. Um, if you've been overweight for quite some time, you gotta establish your use of some very important tools. The first tool that you need to establish is making a habit of being aware of the amount of food that's coming into your body. And how you do that is you get a journal, pen and paper, not your phone, pen and paper or pencil and paper and track your meals. 
however way you, you, you can possibly do it, whatever way is easy for you, you want to track your meals. You want to either plan out all your meals for the day and just write it out, which I don't advise because it leaves you no room for adjustment throughout the day. But if you're really serious about this weight loss thing, fat loss thing, I would advise that you get a journal and you write down everything that you eat before you eat in it or maybe after you eat it. You don't want to make eating a, a, a chore, you know, but... You want to write down everything that you've eaten and track how many calories is in each. It's easy to track calories nowadays because we have these calorie counting um, tracking apps, right? And you just take your phone, you just put your camera up to the barcode. Hopefully you're not strictly eating out of a box, but you put your phone up to a barcode or you can even search the amount of food that you've eaten and the calories will come up. Estimated calories will come up. And then that way you can keep track of your calories on a consistent basis. Now, I advise when somebody is just first starting out with calorie tracking, just to tra- just to track the calorie, just to track the calories, right? Don't worry about the macros, the proteins, the carbs, and et cetera. But the first thing to do, track the amount of calories that you're taking in, right? Remember, this is a lifestyle. You can't get all annoyed because, oh, you got to write things down now and you got to use numbers. No, this is a lifestyle. And if you're on the overweight to obese type cusp, then this this is this is your life. This is 100% your life. So you have to be cognizant of how many calories you're taking in. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So... Once you got the calorie tracking down pack, what you're going to do is you're going to figure out how many calories it takes to maintain your current weight. So there's a certain amount of calories that it takes to maintain a 200-pound person. If you're 200 pounds, it's going to take maybe, I'm just going to guesstimate, you're 200 pounds, 5 foot, 10 or 11 or whatever it is, it'll probably take you... 2,800 calories to maintain a 200-pound frame. Now, if this 200-pound person wanted to lose weight, what would they do? They would eat below 2,800 calories. Simple. So that is the first, That is the next thing I would tell people to do after they've gotten used to counting their calories. You now become cognizant of how many calories you are consuming relative to the amount of calories it takes to maintain your current weight, which is called your maintenance calories, right? Um, How do you figure out your maintenance calories? Simply, you can simply go online and type in tdeecalculator.net or you just use the calorie counting apps, myfitnesspal, eatthismunch.com. Eatthismunch.com is definitely a good way to go because eatthismunch.com allows for you to, if you're vegan, you can put in that you're vegan and it'll give you some meal suggestions and even your, 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 um, your, your, um, caloric goal relative to your weight loss goal to your, to your goal weight, they'll give you meals that are comprised of the appropriate macros, the appropriate calories so that you can lose weight within the context of a vegan diet. 
right? And when I say diet in that in that manner, that means just the uh, components or just what's in your your meal plan. That's all I mean by diet. What comprises your meal plan, right? So you could use you could use that app, right? And you have to consistently be eating below that number in order to lose weight. So you're gonna keep you're gonna keep eating below that number. Keep eating below that number. Maybe do it for a week, two weeks, and then you're gonna weigh yourself. It's important that you have a scale. You need to have a scale to weigh yourself. Also, you need to have a, a scale to weigh your food. I'm not too crazy about weighing the food, but if you really want to get meticulous, if you're a meticulous person, you can weigh your food too. You can go on Amazon and download. Um, download. <laughs> you you can go on Amazon and you can order a food scale. Right. So you need a body weight scale and you need a food scale. Right. Once you have your body weight scale, then you can weigh yourself every one or two weeks. Right. And then when you see yourself losing weight, you just readjust how you read. Like you, you, you want to, you want to lose some more weight. So you lost, say you lost 10 pounds with eating below your, your, your caloric maintenance of your body weight, your current body weight. What you want to do now is say, okay, cool. I went from 200 to 190. Boom. You plug in 190 and, and the, the, the apps that I just gave you. And then boom. You follow that that caloric um that caloric model that caloric program, that meal plan on eat this much, or my fitness pal or whatever app you're using. Oh, it's so easy. These apps are so easy to use nowadays. Like it's it's all about again the lifestyle. If you make it a lifestyle to use these apps, use this information to your to your advantage. Then you'll be fine. You end up losing weight and you end up reaching your goals or whatever it is that you want to do. But you have to keep it consistent. Now, how are you going to keep it consistent? Keep it consistent by, of course, using those few tools that I gave you, right? Now, once you have those few tools, you're going to learn about macros along the way. I don't think I've really got to explain the macro part of it because if you use the apps, They'll tell you how much protein you need to get in. They'll tell you how much fats you need to get in. They'll tell you how much um, carbs you need to get in. But one thing I think these apps do not do as of yet, I may be mistaken, is implementing something called a diet break, right? Or just the whole concept of diet periodization. Diet periodization is simply periods of time where you fluctuate your calories, right? Or you edit your calories or you you uh, manipulate your calories. So you can take a diet break after maybe, I guess, two, to, I think it's two to four months, two to six months. Don't quote me. You can check out Eric Helms on YouTube. Just type in Eric Helms diet break and yeah, all that information will come up. But I just want to get the concept down because this is the key part in keeping the weight off and to keep losing weight because a lot of people miss this step. You want to take a diet break. You want to implement diet periodization in your program. Simply put, you just want to every, I guess, 
four months, let's be, be on the safe side, four months, when you saw that you, you've lost a good amount of weight, maybe like 15, 20 pounds or maybe 10 pounds, even 10 pounds. Did you see you lost 10 pounds and you sure that it's not water weight because a lot of it could be water weight in the beginning? Once you show that it's 10 pounds of fat, boom, take a break. What does taking a break mean? Taking a break means that you're going to eat at your current caloric maintenance of your current body of your current body weight. So say you lost 20 pounds, you went down from 200 to 180. You're going to eat at caloric maintenance of 180 pounds. Or maybe you can eat at a caloric maintenance of 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 185 pounds. Whatever it takes to maintain 100 to get you to 185 and keep you at 185, right? So that means, yeah, you're going to gain back a little weight, but you're taking a few steps backwards to take more steps forward. You're taking, you're taking five steps backwards to take 20 steps forward. Here's why. Your body is good. Your body loves you. And here's how much your body loves you. Your body's trying to keep you alive by slowing down your metabolism because it thinks you're in this starvation or famine situation. So it goes, all right, well, you know what? We're going to slow down all of your, uh, all of our functions, all of our processes, and we're going to conserve energy in the form of fat. That's how people gain the weight back. When they are on the ascetic diets or the starvation diets or whatever fucking diet for an extended period of time, what happens is the body says, all right, We'll just adapt. It's called metabolic adaptations. Just adapts. And all it does is just slows your body's processes down and you end up gaining weight. Right? So I forgot to mention caloric deficit. I explained it a little bit, but caloric deficit. Eating below your maintenance calories means that you're in a caloric deficit. So when you are when you're when you're gaining weight again because your body is going through a metabolic adaptation or the slowing of your metabolism as a lot of people might call it what happens is that by definition you are no longer in a caloric deficit when your body slows down its physical processes so when your body uses less energy to do what it needs to do to keep itself alive you're no longer by definition in, in a caloric deficit you end up in a caloric surplus, which is why you end up gaining weight. A lot of people that consult me about losing weight, I go, okay, well, you're going to have to eat this amount of calories. You're going to have to eat less than your current body weight, da 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 You have to spread it out over another key thing, spreading your meals out over three to five meals. I would say three to six meals. Keep it, keep the meals spaced out, not spaced out, keep the meals um, broken up as much as you can to give your body the illusion that it's eating more than it really is. But a lot of people consult me and say, "Hey, I'm 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 not I don't eat that much, so how am I gaining weight?" Well, it's because your body loves you so much it's trying to keep you alive. It thinks that you're in starvation mode. I know some people that skip breakfast for whatever reason and then don't eat nothing until lunchtime. Don't eat nothing until dinner time or whatever it is. What you're doing is you're just putting your body in a situation to gain weight because your body is not stupid. Your body, you're not, you're not smarter than your body. 
You know, if you're a woman, your body can make a child without you even even knowing. Your body can make a child or make another human could produce another human being. It's 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 a beautiful thing. Your body can produce another human being without you being involved at all. So your body's a lot smarter than you, and eating less and doing it in this haphazard way or whatever the case may be, you can't trick you can't trick the body in that regard. It's just not gonna happen. Same thing for men. A lot of men think, oh, I'm just not going to eat that much. Okay, I need to stop eating. Okay, cool. Your body's going to adapt. Your body's just going to slow its processes down. You got some bodybuilders that are prepping for shows. They reduce the calories so much that, yo, they, they're blinking. Even when they blink, it's slowed down. <laughs> their speech slows down. Their blinking slows down. It's 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 crazy. So. Now that we know this, you understand the importance of a diet break, right? And I explain it more in my articles on badbuddhism.com. You know I'm a little bit all over the place when I'm talking about these things. I get so excited. But you take that diet break for about one to two weeks. You eat at your caloric maintenance, and you're going to reduce the amount of exercise you do. You reduce the amount of cardio you do. This is going to signal to your body that everything is all right. We're getting food. We're we're cool. We're good. And then after the two-week period, you're going to cut your calories again. You're going to notice that, yeah, you're going to you gain a little water weight. You gained a little weight. That's that's fine. Just as long as you're not walling out with the calories. Just as long as you're not eating above your maintenance calories. You're gonna have to check though the scale on a regular basis. To make sure that you're staying steady at, at, at a certain weight range. So if you want to stay at 180, you can be plus or minus 180, plus or minus three or four. Give it some room for water weight because a lot of it could be water weight. And then after those two weeks go by, you 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 go back on your, your, your um, you cut your calories, you restrict calories again. And you keep doing this until you reach your your goal weight, right? You Restrict calories relative to your your maintenance calories relative to your current body weight. So that means if you're 200 pounds, you're gonna and and it takes 2,800 pounds, 2,800 calories to to um to maintain your current body weight, which is 200 pounds. You reduce to maybe 2,600, 2,500, 2,400, and you do that for a period of time. Watch the scale go down. Right, you can restrict some more because once you get to a certain you, once you get to a certain weight, you're gonna to start to plateau. You restrict some more, and then you're going to, you know, lose maybe more five, ten more pounds. Then you take a diet break, and then you reduce your cardio, increase the calories a little bit, eat a little more carbs. You know, you gain a little water weight here and there. Then. After those two weeks are over, make sure you're checking the scale and recording your calories and tracking your calories and everything. You, you, you. Um, after the two weeks are done, you reduce the the caloric um, intake again relative to your current weight, right? You reduce it enough that you steadily lose weight over the period of the next few months. Keep on tracking periodically, taking your weight for tra- uh, tracking periodically. 
making sure that you're 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 losing on a consistent basis. It doesn't have to be every week, but you can lose it on a consistent basis, right? Steadily going down. You can make a graph if you want. And then you go on a diet break again. You keep doing this back and forth oscillation between maintenance, restriction, maintenance, restriction, maintenance, restriction. You do that until you get to your to your goal weight. It's not that hard, is it? <laughs> but those are the tools for the lifestyle, right? You you got to adopt the lifestyle for consistent, habitual weight loss, and then the maintenance to go along with it. It's going to be a lifelong thing. It's not just a, oh, I'm going to diet, and boom. Even if you get the liposuction, even if you get, you know, whatever it is you get, guess what's going to happen? Your body's still going to gain weight. I've known women who've gotten the, the surgeries or whatever it is, and they still gain the weight back. I can I know of two women off the top of my head that did that and still gain the weight right back. Even after I told them, like, okay, I tell people things straight up. Like, I'm not going to, I'm blunt with it. I tell them, yo, that's not going to work. Well, it's going to work in the short term, but in the long run, it's just going to be the same thing. So, that's enough preaching on dieting for now. I think I'm going to end it there. Whew. Almost an hour. I enjoy doing these. I thoroughly enjoy doing these podcasts. But um, let's see how this format does. Let's see how this format does. I'm about to just go back to recording it on, probably going to record it on Audacity, even though I don't want to learn yet another app. But It'll be good. Another another good skill to learn. Record it on Audacity and then just upload it to Anchor so that I don't have to take any breaks. Take any so I don't have to take any pauses or anything like that. Cause this is gonna be I wonder how this is gonna be split up. It's gonna be split up into two episodes. I think they're gonna blur into each other or something, but we'll see. We'll see. But um Thank you guys for listening. I see a lot of you guys are listening, tuning in. Remember to check out the website, badbuddhism.com. Also, make sure you check out my daily wisdom, right? Check out my daily wisdom, Bad Buddhism's daily quotes. Um, so you can wake up starting off with good energy. Hey, it's very important to start off with good energy. Every morning, no matter what, no matter how <laughs> no matter which direction my life is going in, the whole world could be burning around, burning down around me. I wake up and I thank God for waking me up. I always wake up saying, "Up, oh, thank you for another chance to be better. Thank you for another chance to learn." So as soon as you wake up, grab your phone. You can, if you have um, Amazon, you can activate my flash briefing, and every morning you just ask. Alexa, what your flash briefing is, and then you're good. Good to go. So um, that's pretty much that. I enjoy doing this. Enjoy doing this. Two episodes in one week. God damn. Uh, there she goes. All right, so I'll holler at you guys next time. Make sure you check out my IG, website, badbuddhism.com, um, my medium at badbuddhism.com. Yeah, hit me up. If you got something that you want me to talk about, or if you want to come over here and be a guest on the show, 
holla at me. And it's pretty much that. Peace.